So as we get started, let's just uh, remind ourselves where we're at if you're just being with us for this Sunday, that what we're talking about is a discipleship ministry that we're trying to do. We're trying to engage ourselves to say, okay, what could I use to help disciple somebody? And we're going through the material with the idea of not only refresher for those of us who have uh, known the Lord for a period of time, but also as instruction time to say, hey, here's what you could do. Here's how you may want to teach this course. And what we're doing here is not just going by the book. I'm adding a bunch of other things to help you as instructing somebody through some of this material. And so some of you have had opportunity to share the gospel. Let's do this first of all. Let's just take a couple minutes and let's pray for our gospel witness. Let's pray that as we share the word of God, it would have impact and it would be effective and that the Lord would give us boldness. So you can pray together with somebody sitting by you or you're welcome to just pray by yourselves. But let's take a couple minutes and let's pray for souls to get saved through our personal witnesses. Father, we thank you for this privileged opportunity we have to be able to study your word, to gather. And I pray that you would use this to help us. Help us to be able to hone our skills to being able to share and to answer questions. And I pray that you would use our interaction with different people, that we would take opportunities, have the boldness to share our faith, to share your, the truth. I pray as well, help us to be able to reach out in a way that shows true compassion, that we'd be able to share and see other individuals respond to the gospel. And we pray that in Christ's most holy name. Amen. We're chapter 5. You can see the pages there. We're catching up with where we were. We were last week we were talking about the importance of the Bible. And that's the point of discussion where we're at is what about the Bible? So you're sitting there, you're talking with somebody, and we're making some basic assumptions here about that Word of God and about the Bible that we want to explain and make sure that that, that individual or individuals are on par with us. We want to make sure that they understand that the Bible is God's personal communication, that it is God breathed. And we're going to talk about a little bit of that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in here in a moment. But uh, it is God breathed. It didn't come from people. We'll reaffirm that in a moment. As the revelation it is also God's autobiography. We want them to understand. And as you're explaining, try to make sure that they understand that this is not just a religious book that gives some kind of uh, direction or manual or prayer patterns, but rather it is God revealing himself. And I would really stress this with somebody who's young in the Lord, that this is God's autobiography biography telling about his desires, his person, his home, uh, what he's done in the past. That's very important. And then it does give us directions on how to live, which we'll talk about in the next few moments. Now, here's what we're doing extra from the material. We were in the course of this last week. We were just making comment about the question, which is very, very important question. How can you trust the Bible? And so you want to be able to answer and you can do entire studies. I mean, we have courses in college and seminary when we are studying for ministry that we take entire courses on this idea. But um, so you, you want to just in a brief fashion, but then with a very deliberate and, uh, and honest and true and forceful fashion, you want to emphasize with them that the Bible is God's word. And so we were saying, okay, how do we know that? What is, what is that based upon? And last week we were just giving you some of those ideas that there was the claims of the scripture and I would put all five of these proofs that it's the word of God. I'd put them all together and I'm using C's for sake of alliteration and remembering. The claims of the Bible. We pointed out last week, just to highlight, that multiple times the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Okay, over 3,000 times. The prophets, when they were writing, okay, 
that, <coughs> excuse me, that they were talking about, uh, they understood that when they were speaking, that the Lord had put words into their mouth. Jesus, when he's talking and referring to the Old Testament, there's these different passages that Jesus calls them Scripture, which was an understood term that this would be something from God. And so when he calls them Scripture, he's confirming, he's affirming that this that they have is from the mouth of God. The New Testament writers are going to be able, and we'll get into the Second Peter in just a few moments. In fact, you may want to turn there. That's going to be our major text we'll look at in the next few minutes. Second Peter chapter 2. And so what we were, what in, in, the, in the New Testament, the writers are saying, they understood people of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. And they understand that what each other is writing at this time is also Scripture. And they use that term, Scripture is God-breathed. And they call the Old Testament Scripture they called one another's writing scripture. Uh, the New Testament, as we talked about last week, says that same thing. So you have the claims. That in and of itself could be questionable because there's other writings out there that the people may claim. So let's add a second layer of proof. The second layer of proof where you can do multiple studies. You could spend a long time on what is called the apologetics of the Bible, the defense of the Bible, study the history, the archaeology, the science, the prophecy that shows the accuracy of the Word of God. How it would, if The prophecy is what we talked about last week, how there are so many prophetic uh, details given, specifics about the life of Christ, specifics about different events that just indicate and prove that there was an accuracy, there was a supernaturalness about the revelation. Then we made this comment last week. We were talking about this area, the consistency of the Bible. When we talk about the consistency of the Bible, here's what we're talking about, is that the Bible written over a long period of time by multiple different people in multiple, multiple different backgrounds, different languages. And when it all comes together, between the 66 books, there is a central message there is a continuation message. There is the uh, threat of redemption, the message of the Messiah, all the way from the Old Testament, and it continues in all the books all the way through the New Testament without contradiction. They have the same consistent message. How does that happen over such a long period of time with so many different factors? It's a supernatural book. Then we were talking about this is where we stopped last week, this area, and that is the continuity of the Bible. What we need by mean by the continuity is these facts, okay? Though the Bible has been attacked, but though there has been efforts to destroy it, to discredit it, the Bible is still continuing on. It has been the, the uh, anvil upon which many hammers have, have been busted. And so you go through and there's different questions about it. Some will question this. These are whole studies, folk. There's research done into all this. Some question the authenticity of the Bible by casting doubt on its credibility. How can you trust the Bible? It's an ancient book. It's an old book. In fact, there will be those who will say, how do we know that uh, what it says today is what it was saying originally? The questions get into, didn't men change the Bible over a period of time? Again, entire studies are done in this area to, to just, you know, this isn't, this isn't you and I walking in saying, well, we just believe that those people who lived 1,500 years ago and wrote it, we just think that as they made copies of it, then, um, you know, it just, by happenstance. No, there's a, there is a historical evidence that there was a continuity, and even though different people got involved, uh, <clears throat> just to give you an idea, the people who are approaching, uh, and again, you can do this, all this research and study, the people who were copying the scriptures, 
they took such great care in copying that there was a period of time that when they would copy, and you know, this is an amazing thought when you're going letter by letter and careful that what they would do is they would count the exact number of letters from the end of Isaiah, from the beginning of Isaiah to the end of Isaiah, and then find the middle letter and then say, okay, what copy you made? Do we end up at the same spot? So those people, in their efforts and what they were doing, they weren't being silly with the Word of God. They understood that this was an important book that needed to be copied with accuracy. They understood what they were dealing with. And so that sense of reverence, that sense of carefulness, it was, you, you, we're getting handmade photostatic copies of the original documents. Then there are those who would argue in this and said, wait a minute, how do we know that we have enough copies? And that's where that video we showed you, that you can go and get, and I'm not going to take the time to reshow it this morning, but the Ark Encounters, there is more evidence of ma- more copies of manuscripts of the Bible than any other ancient writing. And so we've got this, this, this uh, by comparison, like the eight different copies of Caesar's Gallic Wars, written in copies that were hundreds of years later after Caesar. But we have, within just decades of the scriptures, we have copies of scripture, and we have more than eight. We have thousands of copies. And so this whole argument of questioning the Bible because it's an old book and we don't have in hand the original manuscripts, it's a, it's a purposeful attack that is made against the Bible that is not made against other types of ancient literatures where we don't have the same amount of proofs. God has given us enormous, providentially, enormous amounts of proof that what we have is the Word of God. And uh, it's a fascinating study of the Word of God and its history and how God has has protected and preserved His Word so that we have it. And then there's this one. This is the final proof that I would give to somebody that's sitting there and we're talking about the Word of God. And you put all five of these proofs together, uh, or facts together, and they complement each other to the point that, by the way, this book then is supernatural. What I mean by the changes via the Bible is this question. How has the Bible affected you? Has it changed your life? Is there evidence that the Bible has a supernatural quality to it that produces great change? Most of you are going to say, wow, you know, I can stand up and attest to the fact that the Word of God really, really convicts. I can stand and attest to the fact that the Word of God gives power in my life and, and answers and confidence and peace. You can attest to how the Word of God saw through and helped you and changed lives. And so you put all those together, the claims, the accuracy or the correctness of the Bible. You talk about the consistency. You talk about the continuity of being preserved in that sense. And then the changes, they give us the confidence that what you're holding in your lap is God's Word in our tongue. And so there's, the, to me, that even though I know this is a translation and I, and I love it, it contains and has the Word of God as God gave it in the original sense and in my tongue. So we go back to 2 Timothy 3. Okay, now in 2 Timothy 3, and we're back in your notes, 2 Timothy 3, there's a paragraph that talks about this on 68. It talks about how some people will suggest that the Bible merely contains the Word of God. Now, this can be done in two different ways. There's religious groups that say this, that I'm not using the Bible right now, I'm holding up this booklet from this lesson. But they say that when you read the Bible, the Bible is not supernatural, 
but it becomes supernatural. It contains the Word of God. I'm, I'm trying to be very, very careful in nuancing this. This is the way some teach. Do you believe that the whole Bible is inspired? Well, it can be. Because when it speaks to me, then it becomes the Word of God. And that's a whole theology. There's churches who teach this. That you say, do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And the response is, it can be. Okay, it's neo-orthodoxy that really promotes this. And so, what's the difference between what you believe and what I'm trying to illustrate here? That when the Bible speaks to me, it can become the Word of God. It's very subjective to what? To, to application interpretation. Okay, because what happens if you're having a bad hair day? Okay, you're having a bad hair day and the Bible doesn't speak to you. Okay, then what does that mean? By that, by that interpretation, then that portion of Scripture is it's not inspired. So who is the authority to determine whether the Bible is inspired? Who becomes the authority under that, under that theology? The individual. And your authority can be affected by your mood, your ability to understand, your, whether you're thinking clearly. And that, that puts the Bible where in, in this authority? From here, here you are, here's the Bible. All of a sudden... You're, it's like this. And so we don't believe that. We don't believe that. And the reason we don't believe that the Bible just contains the Word of God, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, why do we say that? Because this statement, all Scripture is given by inspiration. In fact, how do we emphasize that all the Bible is, is God's Word? Well, the first word. Okay, all of it. Okay, the scripture is given by us. It's God-breathed. That's what this verse says. It says all of it is from him. Even portions that may not, you know, ring our bell on a certain day, they still come from him. And so we, said, we want to make sure we understand this, that it doesn't change. The Bible as being the inspired word of God, it doesn't change from Sunday to Wednesday. It is always the inspired word of God that we have with us. And so that's an important, important doctrinal difference that we want to emphasize is that the Bible, on there, and here's where it fleshes out. That means on any given day, the Bible is authoritative. That means on any given day, the promises in the Bible are, they're true, they're valid. That means on any given day, in any given culture, in any given family, the instructions given about how to do your family are, they're applicable or they're authoritative, whatever word you want to use. And so this is God's word. And this is very, very important that we understand that it's just not a book that just on certain days of the week it rings, it rings true with us. Let's, let's go into Second Peter. Now, here's the issue that you're going to have to explain to people. And I'm not sure how you're going to explain this because I, you know, in, a, in a full sense. How could the Bible be God's word when it was actually put to pen and paper um, by man? How did that work? How, what is this process of inspiration? Okay, and so you have to be able to explain this to some people. How did this work? Did God say, did it work this way? And this is, this is the way some will, will present it. Um, Deb, I want you to take this down. Okay, write this down. 
greetings to all, da 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 Is that how God did it? Did God speak to the ear of the Apostle Paul and dictation happened? So that it is from the mouth of God and what is stated is basically bypassing the individuality, use the individual, but it was clearly no personality came through. That's not, that can't be the way. Do the different writers write differently? Yes. So there, And this is an amazing thought. How is the Bible inspired, but every individual who wrote has characteristics in their writing? So that, you know, it's not a dictation, but the process is described here, okay, to a degree. This is where we get our information from the Bible on how God wrote the Bible. He says, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That brings us to this, okay? What we know is, oh, by the, yeah, we, it's up there. Um, the first part of this verse, um, I, I want to make sure we talk. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. That portion, that sentence in verse 20, is a really debated sentence in, in, uh, in application and understanding. There are different groups that say that means that Scripture is not for you to privately interpret. Is that what that means? Okay. But anybody, anybody know what the, if, if that's what it means, that scripture is, a, is not for you to interpret, what is that, how does that flesh out in Bible study? You can't study it. What's that? Somebody over here. Did somebody say something over here? Okay. Then, then who's, who interprets it for you? Okay, then, then I have to do all your interpretation. Does, is that the way some churches interpret this? Yeah, yeah, they do. Okay, there's entire religious systems built in the idea you can't privately interpret Scripture. Look at the context. Is that what he's talking about? You know, is he talking about the end result being no private interpretation? Or is he talking about the beginning of this process wasn't something that initiated by people. Okay? Do you see the difference? The difference is the product is not available for you to interpret. Or the interpretation is the process wasn't created by men. Which, which, app, which application is true? Interpretation is true. Okay? The, the process. It's talking in context, not about what you do with the Word of God, but where the Word of God came from. It wasn't of in anybody's private interpretation. In other words, that Apostle Kevin, it didn't come from his brain. It didn't come from his initiative. It was who initiated all of this? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so you read that verse in context, and that's a critical difference between what you believe and what somebody who comes from, and I'll, I'll use the, the one church I know that's very clear on this, is the Catholic Church. Okay, their interpretation is you can't study it yourself because, you know, that, that product is not, a, not supposed to be studied by people without the guidance of the priests. And so you and I say, wait, we've we got to make sure we explain this to somebody. They can interpret the Bible, they can study it, but the Bible didn't come from start within the mind and the heart of man. He's making it very clear that the initiative behind your Bible was taken by God Almighty, not by people. 
No persons made portions of the Bible on their own. And that's, that's a critical, critical thought here. Okay, <clears throat> the people got employed. Now, this all, this all meshes together. The people got employed were people of integrity and righteousness. And that's an important thought because a lot of the claims against the, the Bible is these people were duping us. They were deceiving us. Well, by the inspiration of Scripture, we understand that those people were people of integrity and righteous. They, had, they were not given to deception. In fact, here's the, here's the irony. Did the people who were writing, did they understand what they were writing at all times? No. No. Remember how he talks about things hard for them to understand that they wrestled with? That he talks about in, uh, in uh, the end of First Peter. And so let's take it a little bit further. God the Holy Spirit personally and actively worked in the process of getting the words of God. Here, and this, this is the entire process. God took the words, the Holy Spirit, and made sure that those words were given to people he made sure that those words that those people gave to other people were still being communicated accurately and what was being written down. So there was inspiration. There was inscripturation in this process that the Holy Spirit made sure that what went from God's mouth through the writer's eyes and ears and writing down, it was what God chose. And then the Holy Spirit doesn't stop there. He helps us not only in inspiration, in scripturation, but the understanding is called illumination. And so it's the Holy Spirit in this process of, of the Word of God is very integral, into, uh, personally involved. Therefore, all this was done by a supernatural working. Let's take the men were moved. The word literally means to be carried along by the wind. um, It's that idea of empowering. Uh, Same word shows up in Acts when he's talking about how the storm came and they were driven by the storm. They They were at the behest of the storm. The storm just took them wherever they wanted and they weren't in in control of this typhoon. Well, he says that's the way the Holy Spirit worked, that the Holy Spirit was in charge moving these men. But while he was moving the men, this is what's What's really uh, unique, the idea is the Holy Spirit moved within them in such a way to guide and to guard the revealed truth through the entire process of revealing, receiving, and recording. So he's moving within them, and yet their own personalities come through. So how, how does that compare to any other writing? It's totally unique. What other book do we have that says this is the way it was done? There isn't any. This is totally unique. In, in fact, if you read like Paul's, uh, Paul's writing in Galatians, do you remember this phrase that shows his emotions? You see with how large letters I am writing. And he's doing that because he's basically saying, I am angry, I'm upset, and I'm very emotional. And you know how sometimes when we get emotional, we speak loud? Yeah, and we get louder because we want to emphasize. And he's saying, I'm writing louder. Okay, just to get his point across. Uh, you would text if you wanted to get your personal emotions. What would you do with your text? Capitalize, your emojis, you know, whatever. Yeah, Luke, Luke uses medical terms. Why does Luke use medical terms? Okay, uh, Paul is very logical because he's been trained in a way that he uses uh, Aristotelian logic in his presentation. James is very simple. 
His, gramma- his grammatical structure is, is very unorthodox, folksy. That's because James doesn't have public training in education the way Paul did. And so it made a difference in their, in their writings and their backgrounds and sometimes in their stories and their illustrations. And so the Holy Spirit, using and allowing their personality, their emotions come through, still guarded and directed what they were writing. And that's amazing. And now, the illustration that's in your book that gives us a sense of it is that illustration of when music comes out from the instrument, who's producing the music? The instrument or... The musician. It's the musician. Okay, the musician. But can the instrument, can the instrument make a different sound based upon the instrument? Okay, even, even the different, you know, brass instruments, the size, the structure. And so he's using different instruments, but it's still the same person speaking, the Holy Spirit, through those people. And so you'd want to make sure that, you, that these folk understand it's inerrant, which you're sitting here, you're going, yeah, I know this, I know this, move on. Okay, but just make, this is so critical to their entire Christian life beyond this moment, that they understand the Word of God is the Word of God. Okay. It's uh, totally inerrant because it is impossible for God to breathe out. And so this is a very, very, very in- unique book. Uh, uh, just, just so that we're all thinking the same way and I want to rehearse with the individual, I'm going to tell them, you know, there's nothing that compares to the, to the Bible. It's totally unique. It's totally unique. It alone is inspired by God. Uh, the Bible's unique. No other, scri- no other writings were initiated by God like scriptures. There's no other writings. It alone has no potential for errors in its content and in its concepts because it's the Word of God. Now, with that in mind, can I throw a question to you? Does the Bible contain wrongdoings? Does it contain erroneous statements? Yeah, it does. It does. It doesn't, can, it, can you give me an illustration of, a, of an erroneous statement in the Word of God? Okay, okay, some of the men who are arguing. We, we just talked about, thank you, that's good. The, uh, the different men who are arguing, they were making wrong statements. Okay, um, any other wrong statements in Scripture? What's that? Oh, Ecclesiastes, loaded with them. Oh, the, the accusation did by the power of Beelzebub. Okay, in Genesis, that you shall become as... Okay, so it accurately records what happened. And so when we say, does the Bible contain error? We're going to say, no, it's accurate. But you have to make sure that you read and understand who's speaking at certain times because it may have accurately recorded somebody giving bad advice. Right? Okay, so with that, no other writings were done this way where men were controlled by the Spirit of God to accurately write. So there's nothing we can compare it to. You know, we can to say, well, I mean, it's like this book. There is no other book. It alone has God's promises to be impacting. I, I don't know of any other scripture. Uh, I don't know of any other writings that says by God's mouth, it will, return on, it will not return unto me void. It is the power of God to divide asunder there's no other book that has as much potency behind it as the Word of God. No other writing is so powerful and guaranteed to last through all the ages. Speaking of it lasting through all the ages, what did Jesus mean by this statement? The Scripture cannot be broken. 
What does that mean? Think it through. The scripture cannot be broken. What does that mean? It can't change with the times? It's eternal? Okay, if, if we're looking at this statement by Jesus, and this is what he is saying about the word of God, and um, he's making comments about who he is and, and his authority, let's, let's put it in what would they understand him saying about the scriptures. The scriptures cannot lose its accuracy. Okay, it can't be proven to be false. He's making that statement. He's saying it cannot lose its authority. And that's part, that's most of what he's saying in this context is he's talking about, uh, he's trying to show the Sadducees and the leaders that the scriptures called even people, little people, G-O-D-S, and that he can be a representative of God, which they're denying. And he's saying, no, 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 scripture can't be broken. There's authority in it all. Scripture cannot lose its ability and opportunities to be fulfilled. So any prophecy does not over a period over a period of time. Does your soda sitting in the fridge once it's open over a period of time does it lose its potency? Lose its fizz? Yeah, okay. Does the scriptures lose its fizz after a while? No. No. It doesn't go bland. The scriptures never loses its dynamics and power to work. This is an important statement that Jesus is saying about the word of God. The word of God is always inerrant, always accurate, always authoritative, always... And that's why when those people of today say the Bible is an ancient book that is no longer relevant, they're absolutely wrong. The Bible has relevancy even today. It can't be broken in its application. Now, it, does, does the application change in how, how we apply it? Does it, does it get affected by culture, by time? Okay, let me, let me just, worse, you, uh, he's, just use the most vivid illustration. You're supposed to greet one another. In Bible days, what was the common greeting? Holy kiss. Does that mean we have to kiss everybody today? Ladies, dress in modest attire. Your attire today is modesty understood as the same as it was 300 years ago? None of you are dressed like they were 300 years ago. Okay? So there's, is, there, is there some change in application? But does the principle change? No. No. And so it's, 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 it's an amazing thought. Then Jesus made this, and I, and I want to make sure that you all understand this, and you may want to mark this down in your margins. Uh, it refers to it in the book, but I want to just demonstrate it for you as carefully as possible. He says, till heaven and earth pass away. He's talking about the, um, the continuity of Scripture. Okay, that idea. He says that the, the scriptures isn't going to pass away. I'm going to fulfill prophecies. I'm going to make sure that things come about. And he uses this phrase, one jot or one tittle. Okay? And he, this is an important phrase to the reader of that day. They would understand. It would be like the dot of the I, the crossing of the T. And I, and I wasn't able to get something that is clearer than this. The yod or the jot. It's called the yod. That's the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, and you would read it from this side, go across, then go across, and go across. At the end of the first line here, that little, what we would normally say, like a um, um, an apostrophe, okay, that is a Hebrew letter. That's a yod. 
Y-O-D-H, or in your King James, it'll call it a jot. Okay? And so he's saying the smallest of the letters that are used, smallest of the letters, they're not going to pass. I want to make sure. Then to give you an illustration what, a, what the tittle was, you can see the oath, that word that they're pointing to on the left-hand side, that's Elohim. Elohim is God. Okay. And so you have the E-L-H-I-M in our letters going this direction. The tittle, you see that there's a set of two letters in top, middle, and bottom. Let me show you what a tittle is. That little at the bottom of, that, of the letter, do you see there's a difference? Yeah? It's just it's a slash of some sort. It's an extension of a line. That's a tittle. The, the next two are two different Hebrew letters. Do you see the difference between the two? That little slash that would connect, that's a tittle. Or the absence of it is that tittle. The bottom two, you see a difference between the two? Okay. It's at the, it's at the top right-hand corner. That's a tittle. Now, if they wrote the way we write our letters at times, would we lose tittles? <laughs> the, way, you know, the way you sign things? Okay. Would you lose a lot of tittles? Okay. And he's saying, no, when it comes to his word, he's going to make sure that the power of the word, the accuracy, the credibility, even to the smallest points of the alphabet that was used. That he's using the expression to just say what? He's saying he, the word of God is... Yeah, it's reliable. It's perfect. It's, pre, it's being preserved. And so he's very, very clear on this, that Jesus says that, you know, the word of God is not going to pass away. I'm going to make sure that, that every single promise in the Word of God, that every single truth in the Word of God, it's going to be fulfilled. It's going to be you know, all, those, all those pictures, all those promises, all those prophecies. I'm going to make sure that they're totally kept up and accurate. And that's where he was going to say, I'm going to make sure the accuracy of the Word of God is maintained, that it's going to be fulfilled, and it's not going to change in time. Okay, the intent, the power, the predictions, the authority. That's what he's getting at. Is the word of God is not going to lose power over... It's not going to be like your car. It's not going to be like stale gasoline kept in a can over a couple summers. That it, that it can still run, but it might be tainted. That's not the word of God. It's not going to run out over you know, your car. It, it, guarantee your car is going to run fine until when? The warranty runs out? Okay. Then you're going to have problems. He's saying that that's the word of God. This is where Jesus is going with this text. Is he's telling you and me that the word of God is very authoritative. He's protecting it. Let me expand upon that where he talks about even that one jot, one tittle teaches two important parts of inspiration and scripturation. It teaches us this, that the very words, the singular words that were chosen by God. Uh, that uh, I said that wrong. The singular words were chosen by God. So when God talked about a virgin conceiving a child, did he mean a virgin or did he mean a young lady? He meant a virgin. He specifically used the words. Very clearly, when you, especially it's clear when, you, when he quotes it in the New Testament, he uses the Greek word that is absolutely very, very, very clear it's a virgin. And so why did he choose that word? Because that's the concept he wanted taught. When he chose the word for baptism, which we're all familiar with, 
why did he choose baptizo? Because of immersion. He could have used nipto or rantizo. He didn't choose those. He chose baptizo for a reason. He wanted that singular concept. So the words are very, very important. We call that verbal inspiration, that each and every word was purposely chosen. Okay? Then we would say, okay, let's expand that. And this is another word. It's called plenary inspiration that you'll read about. It means all of it, plenos, the whole thing. So not only did God choose the specific words, but he also chose the sentence in which those words would be. Can you take certain English words and can they change meaning based upon what sentence they're in? Yes? I'm going to bank on my bank keeping my money safe. Two different ideas of bank. Okay. So Jesus is making sure that, that he not, he's saying not only the words, but even the paragraph, the sentence, the context and that everything works in harmony. Those are very, very important because the majority, the majority of Christendom does not believe this. This is what makes you unique. You are believing that the Bible is totally, holy, and we even put it in our doctrine, verbally and plenarily inspired. The majority of, of Christianity, and I'm using that very broadly, Christendom as a whole, they don't believe that anymore. They don't believe that it is wholly accurate. They believe that maybe some of it was accurate. But it's not accurate when it comes to history, science, marriage. Okay, what part of marriage is being dumped? What aspect of marriage is no longer for us? The, man, the, the, the relationship of man and woman. Take out that one dirty word. Sub, submit. Okay. That's gone. Okay, so all the, and we're saying, no, 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 no. It is still God's word, every bit of it, and so it has application. So then we, then we want to take into the individual for just the next couple minutes. Let's do this and cut off a little bit early. The, uh, the word of God is beneficial. How does the word of God benefit us? Let's just throw this out. If, if you're going to stand up before a third grade class, the junior church teacher got sick today, and the lesson's supposed to be on the word of God and why they should read the word of God, what are you going to tell them? You're, going to, you're headed out of here. You're going to go and do junior church. You're thinking. You're preparing your lesson. From here to that back room, what are you going to say? Here's the reason the Word of God is beneficial. What does it do for you? It changes lives. What else? What? It guides you. What else? It corrects you. Okay. Anything else? Go ahead. Okay. Anything else? Relationships with God. Okay. What did you say, Ted? Was that you? Peace and time. Okay. Let's let's start off. Let's just we're going to list a bunch of these. They're in your book. They're not in your book. But these are very important because um, yeah, this is your commercial. Commercial selling a product. What do they try to do? They, they want to convince you to buy it. So we're going to do a commercial for the Word of God. And so you're, you're doing a Bible study, and you want to convince that person that they should do what with the Word of God? Read it. 
Okay, let's start there. They need to read the Word of God. And so you're, you're trying to say, okay, here's why you need the Word of God. Well, if you're going to do the job the way that we would think, you want to show the benefits. How will this help you? It's like you do with medicines or what you do with health insurance companies or what you do with your car. You, you try to point out benefits. Here's the benefits. Let's start with this passage. The Word of God is profitable. What's doctrine? The teachings, okay? So it's basically teaching what is true or what is right. And so we're defining and saying, okay, the Bible is a teacher. It's going to be your guide. It's going to be helping you. It's going to help structure your thinking. That's very important because as a man thinks in his heart, okay, so we need to know doctrine. We need to know what is true. Okay, let's do the second one. What's reproof? Define reproof. You're sitting in the Bible study and you're saying it's good for doctrine, it's good for reproof. What's reproof? What's that? Tell where you went wrong. Okay, let's see if, how this works, okay? Exactly what you said. What went wrong? It is, the word is a, the idea of a strong rebuke. The Holy Spirit uses it to prick our conscience, to expose sin. There's a story that's told from a missionary point of view that, um, that missionaries were entering into this area of Central Africa, and when they went in, they wanted to use things to try to help individuals in those different tribal villages to welcome them, to be able to you know, provide a bridge to get involved. And so one of the things they used as they used some of the trinkets, some of the things that were unknown to those village and tribes. One of the unknowns that they ran into this once uh, area in the country is people had never seen mirrors before. And so they brought in these small mirrors, were giving them away, and word spread that, wow, we can see our own selves in this little device that the missionaries have. Well, in one of the villages, the princess in that village was told she was the most beautiful woman in the world. Absolutely the most beautiful woman in the world. She was the most beautiful woman in the world. And so she wanted to see her own beauty. So she invited the missionaries to come in. And when she saw her mirror, she wasn't pleased. The story goes that she wasn't the most beautiful woman. But she was told that to flatter her. In fact, she was rather homely. And when she saw the mirror and saw what she actually looked like, her response was, smash the mirror, order the missionaries out. Why? She didn't like what she saw. And so to get rid of what you don't like <laughs> didn't change her one bit. But she didn't have to look at herself that way. Do people ever do that with the Word of God? That the Word of God reveals what we are and that bothers us at times? Okay. And so he's saying that the Word of God is reproof. Then he says it's for correction. Now this is the different nuance to reproof. Correction has this idea. How to get it right. Not just what's wrong, but how to correct it. Okay. It's simple. The word literally meant to straighten a bone. Straighten up crooked spine, it's a medical term. And so it's talking about mending, setting things right. So you have scripture that's giving us instruction, it's giving us you know, conviction, it's showing us how to correct the situation, in other words, how to fix it. And then it's profitable for instruction in righteousness, which is how to stay right, how to stay corrected. In other words, 
It's used for child training. The parent you know, doing what they need to do and not only correcting but then telling them what to do that is proper. And so you got the Bible that's giving us all this information that is so, so valuable. What to believe, what to stay away from, you know, what we did wrong, and then how to, how to make sure that we're, we're on the right track. But there's more benefits. The other benefits that talk about in the, in the passages that we're talking about in this text, what's the benefit of Scripture? Okay, okay. And he's talking to Timothy, who had been exposed to Scripture by his mother and grandmother. And he says, the Scriptures helped you, Timothy, by making you wise to what? Salvation. Okay. And so the Word of God is very, very important. Makes you wise. Helps you understand salvation. Okay. Do we need Scripture, therefore? Yeah, because we all need the salvation. Let's take it a little bit further. Okay. So then faith coming by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How is faith developed in an individual? How does an unsaved person come to accept Christ? It has to come through the hearing of the Word of God. The Word of God is so important for our salvation, for getting people saved. Okay, here again, he says that same thing. I'm not ashamed the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Okay, so the Word of God is critical for you and I in our salvation process, and not only in us getting saved, But what do we have to remember about the Word of God then as we share our faith? What does all that say? You've got to use the Word of God. You've got to use the Word of God. Don't, please, don't share, don't try to instruct somebody in discipleship by saying, I think, I believe. Because you're not the authority, you're not the one that's going to bring the power of God into salvation. What is? Okay, we always want to take people back to the Word of God. The Word of God. We want to share, we want to tell them, you and I need to understand the need and the power behind the Word of God. It is the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. By the way, this is applicable training your kids. Training your kids in your training and saying, here's how we're supposed to operate. Take your kids back to the Word of God. Help them to learn from little on. The authority in our life is... The Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. Now, the Word of God has many other benefits. Let's stop right there, okay? We've given the basic ones, but let's, let's next week pick up. There are many other practical benefits to the Word of God that we want to just make sure that you have time to write them all down and to share with those people that aren't in the book. So let's stop.